Alright, welcome everybody to episode 2 of the podcast The Ghost Nick. This is a uh, spoiler podcast about Wolverine and the comics and other stuff. Alright, here we go. kind of figuring out like my podcast style and how I'm doing it all technically speaking I went on this next sec- this next section be a section about errors particularly about errors that I made from episode one because instead of going back and like punching in the audio I don't want to redo a whole bunch of sections because I feel like maybe i make a couple of mistakes and stumble over a couple of words, but my first go through talking about these things is the most exciting and you get more I guess how I feel about it than if I tried to go back and re record a bunch of stuff. So there are a couple of things from the last issue in this new section I want to call errors that I made in the last episode. Um first of all, I I have since heard last time I t- when we talked about Uncanny X Force in the first episode, I talked about uh, a rumor that it was going to be canceled after AVX. I've also now heard a rumor that that's not the case, and so to be honest, I don't know. I don't know. I'm assuming I can go to work tomorrow and look it up and see. But right now, I just is going to. I'm going to say that I don't know if there'll be an Uncanny X Force after AVX or not, or if there will be a different X Force or whatever. Um, I know Remender is going to be writing the uh, Uncanny Avengers book, so I don't know if he's going to be keeping all his other books. I think. I'm pretty sure the Venom that comes out tomorrow is his last Venom, so I think he's leaving that. So I don't know. I don't know if he's going to keep doing X-Force or not. So regardless, we'll keep covering it as long as it's there. Um, The other most egregious error I made in that same book, in that same section, I attributed a quote on a line that I thought was silly. And I said, if you're going to stick with it, Jeff Loeb, at least do blah, blah, blah. And obviously that was just a brain fart. I know that Jeff Loeb had nothing to do with riding on Kenny X-Force. And that was Rick Remender. And I was just joking anyway. But still, I said the wrong name. 
So, all right, well, those are the, the two big things that I, I realized that I misspoke about last time. I wanted to clear that up. And, um, all right, cool. So, um, I'm a big Tom Petty fan. And Tom Petty has a song that I'm sure everybody's heard a million times, but it's appropriate. Starts off with the, or doesn't start, but the lyric, has the lyrics, Oh my my, oh hell yes, honey put on that party dress. Well, Wolverine number 311 is the party dress. This issue is awesome. It even starts off on the cover with Wolverine going through a saber-tooth party. <laughs> I cannot say how much I like this issue. It is great. You know, if there's a lot of good stuff going on in comics right now. Um, AVX has been pretty good. I know some people complained about it, but I've, I've enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. And... You know, over in the New 52, I'm, it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of what's going on in the Bat books right now. The Green Lantern stuff's really good. But as a Wolverine fan, if, if issue 311 isn't one of the best issues you've read in months, then something's wrong. Because this, I don't know, I just, I don't really want to talk about it. I just want to read it again. Or, like, read it out loud on the microphone which I'm not going to do because everybody would hate me. But and that's how good I thought this was. So I guess let's just uh, dive right into it. Um, written by Jeff Loeb again. Pencils by Simone Miachi. Mark Morales does the inks. Colors by Simone Peruzzi. Jason Keith. Maury Hollowell with Guru Effects. Comic Craft, Comic Craft, Albert Deshesny is the letterer, and then the cover is by Bianchi and Peruzzi, with the variant cover, which I haven't seen yet, I should look, get online and look at that, by Linio Yu and Marte Garcia, no, not Garcia, Gracia, got a little bit of dyslexia there, sorry for all the names I just killed. Uh, was complete accident and very well intentioned, but some of your names are hard. <laughs> I'm sure I haven't done anything that a t-ball coach or third grade teacher didn't do to you earlier in your life. So, but no, I am. I I do hope I said those as right as possible because this book is just really, really high quality. So the the previously. There's three long, like, horizontal panels on the title page. And I'm pretty much just going to use that as a summary. Um, you should have read issue 310. If you haven't, go read it or go listen to the last episode here and get the skinny on it. But, um, basically there are three things you need to know. Romulus is back. Sabretooth is reborn. And in all this, Wolverine's only ally is a mysterious woman with red hair. And that's all you need to know. And it says, this is what happens next. Sabretooth Reborn Chapter 2. Nightmare in Red. 
So we start off with Wolverine fighting Sabretooth at the Weapon X facility. He comes to the realization, based on all the other clones, that the Sabretooth he killed back in Wolverine Evolution around issue 50-ish, it was just a clone. So he killed a Sabretooth clone. So then... Uh, Sabretooth kind of throws him to the wolf, so to speak, and he has to fight a bunch of Sabretooths, while Creed, our Sabretooth that we know and love to hate, or actually I just love him, he's a great bad guy. Anyway, Creed gets out, he skedaddles, gets away. Wolverine gets angry, cuts his way through some of the clones, decides he's going to try to go after Creed, jumps in a blackbird... But then, there's like so many Sabretooth clones that are like climbing all over the plane. Wolverine's like, I can't let these get out into the wild. You know, he feels responsible. So he turns back around with Sabretooth climbing on top of his plane and running around the facility. And decides to kamikaze into the facility. He crawls out of the wreckage. His healing factor starting to kick in, but then so are some of the clones. The mysterious redhead comes to his aid. They fight the clones. They blow up the whole thing. They catch a ride on a helicopter. Make out for a second. Wolverine wants to know who she is. Turns out that she is Remus, Romulus's twin sister. As in, like... Romulus and Remus. I think she even says it like that. Going back to the legend of the founding of Rome. Okay, I know I normally go slower and I'll kind of go back through and hit stuff, but that is like generally like the very, very short version of what happens in this issue. And it is just, it's, it's a home run, man. This issue is just great. Let's kind of look through it a little more carefully. Um, golly, this first page. Everything on it is awesome. You have Wolverine starting off, cutting through kind of the air with his claws and blood streaming off of it. He's like, you're dead! He's like, ever have one of those recurring nightmares? Some people dream about being in a plane crash or drowning or getting buried alive. And Sabretooth retorts with his claws and a little bit of blood coming off. You'd love to think so, Logan. But one thing they all have in common, you always wake up before you die. And Sabretooth says, let's see how you do six feet under. And then Wolverine's like, now imagine that same, very same nightmare, only now you're awake. And it just shows Wolverine's eyes and the focus and the anger. And he's got the furrowed brow under his mask. Kind of spaghetti western-y, but very wolverine then you open to a double-page splash, and it's just it's just awesome. You got Wolverine fighting Sabretooth. I mean, this is everything you want. And, uh, yeah. Oh, wow. So then they fight some more. Like I said, he has a little flashback. All these Sabretooths crawling all over him. Wolverine realizes that he again references that he knew something was wrong when he killed Sabretooth the first time. Sabretooth gets lost. Like I said, 
in this awesome panel with Wolverine yelling Creed as he like cuts out of a dog pile with Sabretooth his claws in the air and he's running after him man the art in this is just beautiful Simone Biace does a great thing again another great panel where when he turns on the afterburners of the Blackbird and you have two Sabretooth skeletons one with like half an arm that's outside of the fire and that's still an arm but the rest is all just bone and the picture of like the saber tooth like climbing on the plane and falling off as it takes off is, is awesome and then yeah I, I won't rehash the story again I kind of just did that but I don't know it's just awesome I will say when when Remus, we don't know if she's Remus yet, shows up, he's like, I know that voice, her accent, Italian with a hint of Japanese, which is a direct callback to when Jeff Loeb first described Romulus. So this is going to trigger kind of, and Wolverine even says later that he knew one other person with that accent. But he says, a mysterious redhead who happens to save my Canadian bacon. I hate mysteries. But I do likes me a redhead, which, you know, <laughs> not that I was saying anything revelatory, but just kind of called back to last episode where I, where I joked about uh, Marvel and in particular Wolverine's redhead fetish. So you have this redhead chick saving him. And yeah, that, I thought that was funny. And then, you know when they're making out we get our our only two snicks of the magazine they're making out and I guess he has his hand under her chin and you get a snick snick and the next panel is classic Wolverine a move that we've come to love where he's got like his hand under someone's chin and a blade on each side of their face and then like the third middle one hasn't popped yet he hasn't popped that claw yet and he's like on three either, either the truth or your brain comes out. One, two, uh-oh, you do know what comes after two. And then Remus talks about, she says that Romulus is the one that likes to play games. And yeah, here, here she goes, my name is Remus, as in Romulus and, I thought that was really clever. And basically she says that she needs Wolverine to kill her twin brother, which is obviously Romulus. Everything in this book, like I said, I, I can't rave about this book enough. The art by Simone Miachi is great. Mark Morales inks him very well in this issue. Jeff Loeb. The story is, is paced really well. The dialogue is great. Uh, the captions, like I guess the thought balloons, you would say. Wolverine's like internal dialogue is fantastic. The only thing that I thought was kind of funny that... Like, oh, well, that's kind of silly. Is Creed runs away. And I don't know. We don't really see where he goes. But I just think it's funny that Wolverine's first instinct is to jump into the Blackbird. Like, I guess there's an untold thought that he assumes, or maybe he heard Creed get in some kind of vehicle. I mean, let me let me double check. I, I mean examine those panels very closely. I don't remember 
Uh, yeah, Sabretooth just gone, and Wolverine's running down a corridor. And he runs outside, and he's like, gone. And that doesn't sit well with me at all. And he hops in the Blackbird. Like, he's just gonna, you know, Blackbirds fly really fast. He's gonna go a very long distance in a very short amount of time. And I just kind of feel like, well, what if Sabretooth's just over, like, on the other side of the hill? You're gonna completely miss him. So I thought that was kind of funny, but I mean, that's like the only thing I have to, like, kind of mock in this whole issue. Everything else is, is great. Um, this is one of those issues that I wish, like, my podcast is already a little more established and that you people, I, I hope that somebody's listening and I wish that I already had email. I really want to talk about this with somebody else. So I'm kind of, kind of bummed right now that it's just me hosting this because I really wish, you know, I had somebody else to, to chat with about this. I have, you know, a couple of things I'm wondering about. First of all, I feel a little bit dumb and I think this is just kind of a, a trick of Jeff Loeb's writing. I think most of the readers, there's probably some that, that don't, and even some more that will, will act like they're too smart to not. But I think he kind of wrote it on purpose so that when you hear Sabretooth the Clone, you're like, oh yeah! Ah, and smacking yourself on the forehead. You know, because you're like, oh, how did I miss that? Like, it was all there for you to know I mean even to the sense that you're kind of like well how did Wolverine miss that like, <laughs> I'm just reading it but he's there doing it like and, you know, and Wolverine even kind of gives himself a hard time for missing it you know he says I knew something was wrong I should have trusted my instinct and by the way in case you're wondering if that's just Jeff Loeb trying to backtrack that's not that, I mean that's accurate it's not true he's not backtracking if you go back and read the original storyline, I had forgotten this, but I did go back and then look at it. When Wolverine is fighting this Sabretooth that we now know as a clone, he does make a comment that something seems a little off. So this isn't Jeff Loeb like rewriting history. Like that was all there. And another thing that was there that I really missed and should have picked up on and is very obvious in hindsight is if you look in Wolverine 54 we see the Sabretooth clone and we see reason that he should be a clone. He's in a green test tube that's or like stasis chamber. I guess it's not really a test tube but the exact same coloring and like Simone Biotti did a really good job because when he drew all these Sabretooth clones in this current arc at the Weapon X facility, it's the same drawing. I mean, he drew, it's the same design as what he drew in Wolverine number 54. And Wolverine even talks about how someone's got Sabretooth all trussed up. You know, in that story, we have the other feral characters, you know, like Wolfsbane and Feral and a Wild Child. I think Sasquatch even kind of gets roped into that. And I don't remember who it was now, even though I just looked at this like 30 minutes ago. But one of them even talks to Wolverine. I think it was uh, Wolfsbane about how there's something going on and there's certain parts of her recent past that she can't remember. 
Like something like there are three winks, three weeks, not three winks. I'm not, I'm like, ooh, someone winked at me in a bar. No, but three weeks that that are blank. And so if you tie that together with the test tube, and that's really kind of a, an obvious foreshadowing that not only is Sabretooth probably being cloned by somebody in this situation, and that, or that is a clone, you know, but it's very possible, I hope this is done well if it's done, and it may not ever even be touched on, but it's very possible that there's other clones of all these other feral characters out there that Romulus got, and the time they're missing is the time they were in stasis, you know, with Romulus messing with their genes, either cloning them or doing something to them or whatever. And so... Yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's kind of brilliant the way Jeff Love did it, where it's not, like, super obvious, but it's kind of obvious looking back on it. You know, like they say, hindsight is twenty twenty, and never is that true in comic books. <laughs> and, you know, and even in number 55, when he's fighting the Sabretooth that we now know was a clone, like, the Sabretooth is really primal. And Wolverine kind of um, just assumes that's because he was knocked out and kept in this thing for so long that he's kind of in a fit funk or whatever, like he's in a daze. But I think looking back, it just it, it, it's kind of that way because this Sabretooth was just a clone, and he didn't have like all the memories and personality yet personality yet and we even get that a little bit like when he cried like there's a single tear that rolls down his cheek before Wolverine beheads him which I always thought well that's kind of weird I didn't really expect Sabretooth to do that but you might expect a Sabretooth who's only been alive for so long and you know his, his first act is he you know eviscerates one of Wolverine's friends outside in the snow fights Wolverine, gets his arm cut off and now Wolverine is basically saying I'm going to kill you well yeah, if you didn't have all the look how badass I am history of Sabretooth you would probably cry a little bit I don't know, I I think it's really interesting it makes me I love that story the first time around I love it even more now you know, first the in the last issue in Wolverine 310 I thought the story was really good and I was really excited about where it was going and I, I had a suspicion there might be a clone situation involved and when that was confirmed I wasn't real sure how I felt about it because I was afraid that it would rob the original story that if he just killed a clone then that makes his death not as cool or interesting, but uh, the way the story was written, the way I'm reading it, is the whole first part of that first arc is our Sabretooth. Like, all the conversation between him and Logan about all the history and some of Sabretooth's motives and the I'm what you'll become and all that stuff, uh, that's Sabretooth. And after the Black, after, after he escapes from the Black Panther, I guess he gets captured by Romulus or goes to meet Romulus or whatever. I'm kind of thinking he probably wasn't captured. 
that Wolverine found Sabretooth or found the clone in the stasis and thought someone did that to Sabretooth but knowing now that it's just a clone I think Sabretooth just went and met Romulus after he escaped from Wakanda and you know then they started doing the clones and they just unleashed the first one on Wolverine you know so he could kill it because even Wild Child acted acted like or inferred that it was a test like like he referred that even he wasn't sure you would carry through with it you know referring to Romulus so I don't know I just the way these two stories are tied together is very very exciting and shaping up to be one of the really key Wolverine arcs in his whole history so I don't know. I'm just really excited about it. I wish I had someone to bounce some questions on. I do have one one big question. Is is are all these clones dead? You know, when Remus and Wolverine blow up the Weapon X facility, you know, Wolverine even says, I wonder if we got them all. And Remus is like, well, I guess you'll have to see. And I don't know. To my understanding... If I'm reading it right, and please, if you're listening, email. Email is on the it's on the web page, or it's a snitcast at yahoo.com. S-N-I-K-T-C-A-S-T at yahoo.com. But I, I want to know what people think. Um, my The way I read it is that the only reason the saber-tooth clone that Wolverine killed stayed dead was because he used the Moramusa blade. And then if he had decapitated him in any other way, he would have just either grown a new head or somehow his head got reattached or whatever. And we even saw the saber-toothed clone picked up his arm and like held it in place like it was going to reattach to his body. And then when he let go, it just fell off. He was like, huh? <laughs> like he totally expected it to stay up there and start reattaching itself. So I'm pretty sure that the only reason it stayed dead was because he used the blade that took away the healing factor. And we know that these Sabertooth clones have healing factor, at least to a degree, because some come out after the plane crash on fire and they're still fighting Wolverine. Now maybe they're just so primal that they're on they're on fire, but they're going to keep fighting anyway until they burn completely up but it would seem to me based on what we know alright X-23 clone of Wolverine or a clone attempt has healing factor so I'm going to assume these saber tooths have the healing factor so I just I guess I don't know if I think that just blowing up the facility really is the end of all these clones yeah it wouldn't be too far to say that being like atomized to a degree would ruin the healing factor and you couldn't come back from that but and I would accept that even even in the Marvel Universe I would say yeah I'm cool with that except for the fact that we've had Wolverine pretty much be atomized and come back from it and we've ne- I don't know if it's ever really I can't remember and I feel kind of ashamed I should know this Another thing I'd, I'd like to know, and we'll probably look online and research, 
is do we know if Sabretooth's healing factor is as strong, like to the degree of Wolverine's? I've always had the impression that it was. So I don't know, I'm okay with some of these clones surviving. What I hope we don't see is like next year or in two years, we have uh, uh, writers that aren't as good as Jeff Loeb writing a bunch of little arcs with characters that are like, they want to do a Sabretooth story, but it doesn't mesh with Sabretooth's current continuity, whatever it is at the time. So there's like, oh, this is one of the clones that uh, escaped from the fire in Canada at the Weapon X facility. And he's been off doing this, and now he's going to join X-Factor or be on X-Force. But, you know, he's not Creed. He's a good Sabretooth, or he's a different bad Sabretooth. Um, <laughs> and I know from all the times I read Marvel and DC and all the alternate characters they have, there's a good chance at some point we're going to get one of those. I just, I don't know. I hope if they do it, they do it right. The other question I had is, I mean, they kind of played it, and because I questioned this last issue too, and they decided that it wasn't, and now I'm not so sure. I'm still wondering if the sword that Remus has is the Miramusa boy, because she kind of, like points or nods to it when she talks about well here let me let me find that exact because let's see where is it he comments on her sword and says nice blade and she says it was a gift from a long time ago and she has two of them and they have the letters on the blade With the Japanese letters, and I think... So is that the Miramusa blade, or is that just an old samurai sword of Wolverines that she brings? Because she has two swords, and she gives him one. Now, if they're the Miramusa swords, I thought Wolverine had those made. Now we know that Romulus has been orchestrating a bunch, a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. And I'm going to have to assume that Remus probably has two, whether they're on the same side or not. So maybe she had something to do with influencing him to make it. But if it is the sword, then are there two? Okay. Or are these swords, she says, a gift from a long time ago. Is that referring to like maybe swords that were presented to them when they found Rome or founded Rome? I, I kind of hope they tie this back to that legend. You know, Romulus is someone who's been orchestrating world events from behind the shadows forever. And it'd be really cool to find out that he does go all the way back to Rome. I think they've even alluded to that before and maybe even explicitly said that. I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head all my Romulus lore, but I'm, you know, maybe this is a gift. These swords were gifts that were presented to them at that time and that would be really cool and to get a backstory on that and I guess my other question that I'm wondering about is is Remus a good guy or a bad guy in the end you know we kind of have a cover that could be telling or misleading and the next issue on the cover 
is Wolverine and Remus locked in battle. So, I don't know whether they'll actually fight or whether it'll be one of those we're good guys and we gotta fight first and to realize we're on the same side. You know, I don't know. I don't know if... I'm gonna assume that even if she's not on Romulus's team anymore, even if something happened in their past that she feels betrayed, which would make sense, because in the Roman legend, like the actual legend, Romulus kills Remus because they can't decide where to found their city. They have a contest, and they both think they're the winner, and Romulus kills Remus to found Rome. So I'm wondering if, if they're even going to go like that much detail, which I think would be cool. So you have a backstory that Romulus tried to kill Remus, and I like that she's a girl and not twin brothers. I think that adds a dynamic that's really interesting. But so I'm wondering if she has all this time like either faked her death or like was on the brink of death and somehow survived and if she's also been orchestrating a lot of stuff from the shadows that would just be, be really really cool but I wonder whether she's really a good guy or whether she's just against Romulus or if she's even somehow playing with Wolverine for Romulus and I just don't know, but I'm really excited to find out. So please, if you're listening to this at all, let me know what you think about this story, about some of the questions I brought up. Give me your opinions, your theories, your questions. I'm hungry to hear all of it. So please, please do. If you hear this, I want to hear from you. All right, we'll be moving on. Thanks. Okay, so our next segment is And the X-Men. Also known as Wolverine and the X-Men, but again with no Wolverine. Not a single snicked in this whole book. But that's okay. So, we have Wolverine and the X-Men number 14. Written by Jason Aaron. Penciled by Jorge Molina, inked by Norman Lee, colors by Maury Hollowell, letters Chris Eliopoulos. And I'm going to try to get more consistent about reading more of the credits, even though I probably don't say any of their names right. You know, I like everybody that's doing all these things and all the little things that go into comic books. And honestly, I know that most of the other podcasts say all that, so I should too. <laughs> Got to keep up. Uh, cover by Nick Bradshaw and Justin Ponsour. Assuming that's right. So, we have this cover, which is pretty sweet. I like Nick Bradshaw. I like his covers. And on the cover, it says, Kitty's Hot Date. It's a pun, because Colossus is one of the Phoenix Five, and he's on fire, because he's hot. And they're going to go on a date. Kitty Pride is going to go on a hot date with Colossus. And as I mentioned last time, I really think it's quite funny that Quentin Quire is sitting on the lawn in the background with a fire extinguisher, you know, because that's how he's going to battle the Phoenix Force. 
Forget the Avengers, just get some white foam. Oh yeah. And I love this cover because I'm pretty sure it's just Shadow. But it looks like Colossus has giant Elvis sideburns when he's presenting these flowers to Kenny Pride. So I guess you could say he's a honka honkin' burning Phoenix love. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about that. Right. All right. So inside art, uh, I like the art inside by Jorge Molina. Uh, he's good. He's been kind of doing covers and some of the art for the Adjectiveless X Men. So he's really good. Um, again, Jason Aaron. Right now, uh, this is my favorite X Men book. Um. So not counting Wolverine solo book, but this of the X-Men, X-Men books. Right now, Wolverine and the X-Men is my favorite. So even though Wolverine is not in this one, his name is on the top cover in the title. So we're going to go over it just briefly. It is an AVX crossover. Get my notes here. So... We start off with Kitty Pride and Colossus having dinner. Kitty's dressed up real nice. Colossus is in his royal phoenix garb with his tunic or whatever. And they're having some nice seafood. I get a nice five-star restaurant. And he turned the page and I love this scene. because I feel like it's a show on Fox. Like, next on My Dinner with Moses. Anyway, so apparently Colossus has split the sea and they're having seafood falling out of the sea. Kitty comments that this fish is very fresh as one flops by her foot. And then Peter slash Colossus gets really excited. Sounds like he's about to propose, but Kitty interrupts him. And we have a flashback to Kitty with a board meeting at the Wolverine's Jean Grey school. So we're at the school. And it's her and Lockheed and Husk and Warbird. Talking about how hard it is to run the school because all the teachers are off fighting the Avengers. Which is kind of weird because Wolverine is on the Avengers and this is his school, but... To this point, most of the X-Men, even in his school, remember had left not to join Scott because they're still on Wolverine's side schism-wise, but not AVX-wise. So they feel like, you know, there is a utopia for mutants and they're not going to let the Avengers take that away. Now you're definitely starting to see the cracks, as you should, since the X-Men particularly the Phoenix Five are being a bunch of pricks. Which kind of makes me mad. Because I, I kind of read this that, that AVX was going to be a... You can see both sides, but you... Actually, I was listening to another podcast um, talking about it, and they, the two hosts actually did disagree that you can see both sides. And 
and one of the guys made some valid points for being on Team Cyclops, but I don't know. Every issue, they get a little bit more fascist and a little bit more dickish, and I don't know. That's, that's just where we are. So you have Deathlock start spouting... Sorry, I'm sorry. Substitute teacher Deathlock starts spouting stats about how the likelihood of whether the staff will return and then the likelihood of whether the school will still be standing at the end of this conflict. Which makes you hope that as a substitute teacher, he is there teaching statistics or some kind of math because that's obviously where his gift is. Dupe or Slimer says something. Toad portrayed here with a longer nose than usual. I guess that kind of fits the uh, Bacalo Toad we've been getting. So, that's cool. He, you know, doesn't realize he's a teacher. Kitty Pride realizes there's nobody in the other class. You have a nice Pink Floyd reference where it's the little bamps. And they're like, the bamps go, bamps don't need no education. And they're running around the room tearing stuff up. So they're not going to be another brick in the AVX wall. You get a cool little thing where Kenny Pride is talking to Husk and she answers for somewhere else and Kenny Pride gets really shocked. And you find out that Husk has shed another layer of skin, including clothes, and it's sitting at the table where she was, but now she's at the other end of the table. You actually get a really cool, creepy scene because Toad volunteers to clean it up and he has, I can't tell because the color is different. So I can't tell if this is fantasy or flash forward. You have Toad having tea with husk, basically her dead skin. <laughs> Which is kind of gross and creepy, but pretty funny. At least I thought it was pretty hilarious. Then some flowers show up out of nowhere and Colossus is here. And this kind of takes us back to the beginning of the story. Then we flash over to the Thing in Manhattan fighting Ileana, Angel, and Iceman. Uh, basically, Iceman is like, hey, let's talk about this. But then the Thing throws a manhole at Angel. So Iceman feels like he has to freeze him. Magic, Ileana is like, nice work, Iceman. That's another adventure off the streets. And Iceman is like, yep. Sure am proud of myself. I can definitely tell that Iceman is starting to feel like maybe he's not on the right side, which is good. Because I like Iceman and I don't want him to be a jerk. By the way, Melina here draws a really nice Iceman. That ice action is good. Um, I'm kind of indifferent on the whole like ice spiky thing that, that they have going on with him right now. But it looks good when Bakalo does it, and here it looks good when Melina does it. So that's fine. Let's see. In the background in Times Square, we have Stark Industry, a fake Coca-Cola ad. Ooh, a Lion King musical ad. That's a great musical if you've never seen it. And the logo is freaking sweet. So that's cool. And then some fake HP lab. I don't know if that says NP. Or, yeah, I guess that's an NP. Which I'm going to assume is a reference or like a little 
not in joke, I don't think it's making fun of anybody, but that's got to be like referring to somebody, and I can't think of who it might be right now. But somebody got a fake HP logo in their honor. So basically, Bobby Iceman is a little concerned. He goes to talk to Cyclops, but Cyclops is too busy melding together the San Andreas Fault so that California has no more earthquakes. So no more World Series will get uh, disrupted <laughs> like back in 88. I was alive for that. Um, anyway, Cyclops talks about all the awesome things he's going to do after this, like build some rivers in the desert, bring back an extinct species of tiger. I'm going to assume from my zoo book days, that's the old um, mid-Asian tiger. It was, or no, maybe it was sub-Saharan tiger. I don't know, I can't remember, but back, I used to read zoo books all the time. I remember in the Big Cats book, there was a picture of a tiger that was extinct. And it was kind of small, and it had a little bit, it was a little shaggy like a lion, but it was a tiger. Maybe it was a liger. Ooh. Napoleon Dynamite read zoo books. I'm telling you, heard it here first. And then it says something about, uh... Healing children of birth defects. Which, I know some of that is good. There are some birth defects we'd like to fix, but as someone who was born with a birth defect, a cleft palate, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad for the life I've had. And whatever. That's, that's a tangent I don't really want to get on. But anyway, so it makes Cyclops... These are all kind of good things, but you're kind of seeing this absolute power corrupts absolutely thing that you knew was going to happen. We've just been kind of counting down to it. So Kitty Pride expresses her concerns. Colossus is like, nah, it's the same me. We're still the same. But then she resists, and Colossus starts to get angry. And he actually, like, slams the table and gets to, like, angry Phoenix voice. Kitty Pride like, tries to back off. And Colossus takes her back to the school and decides he's going to destroy it. So Kitty phases him two miles into the ground. He comes back up, decides he's going to destroy the whole school. And he has this really like creepy horror movie thing where Kitty Pride is like, Fly away home now, Colossus. And he's like, not until I get my goodnight kiss. Which is really creepy and like, you know, B-film horror movie. The X-Men decide they're going to make a stand, which obviously they can't. Colossus mows through the X-Men. Kitty phases her hand into his chest to grab her heart, like Temple of Doom style. And Colossus is like, no, that's not going to work. I'm just going to burn you. Because remember, the powers don't all work the same. And the Phoenix can override some powers. So even though she's intang intangible, he still burns her. Which he's burned the girl he's been professing his love for. Which is obviously not the way to win a girl's heart. Gentlemen, do not set fire to your dates. Bad idea. Then he says, I could kill you and bring you back to life in the blink of an eye, which would be kind of worthless because then you don't really have the object to your love. You have a puppet. 
You know, I can do whatever I desire. Do you not see, woman? I am fire, life incarnate, now forever. I am Phoenix. I am... And he looks around, particularly sees the statue of Jean Grey that he crushed. Oozes heart. I, I am, I... And he flies off in a Phoenix fire. Which, you know... Then Angel and Iceman come back. Iceman tries to explain that he realized he shouldn't have gone off fighting, that he's on the wrong side. The Phoenix Five thinks they're gods, and that's not right. Who broke Jean's statue? Why are you dressed so nice? Hold on. Okay, sorry about that. My uh, power supply, or I had to plug in the power supply for my laptop. I was running off battery and it was about to die, which would have been bad. So anyway, you know, Kitty's like, well, I'm glad you're back. We don't have time for this. You need to get back and teach some classes. Assuming you're not too tired from beating up Avengers. So she kind of takes a stab at Bobby. He's like, uh, okay. And then she says, assuming you ever work up the guts to actually ask me out on a date, if you take me to a seafood restaurant, I will kill you. You hear me? And Bobby's like, yes, ma'am. Then Kitty yells at the students. Then you have a lonely shot of Colossus walking. What I'm assuming is his home country. I'm assuming he's back on the farm in Russia and walking through the snow. And interesting because I guess it's just the Phoenix fire burning in the snow. We have a little bit of a callback because remember Colossus also has the Juggernaut thing going on. Or did. I think they resolved that. I think he tried to give it back. Or, or at least the Phoenix subdued it. Because the Sidorak demon did not want the Juggernaut back. Or power back. Um, but anyways, he was the Juggernaut. And I remember Juggernaut when he was in fear itself left the flaming footprints with like the little uh not Asgardian uh language like evil language words in it. So there's a little bit of a callback, intentionally or not, I'm not sure to that. Um so anyway that's that issue. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh fantastic. The art, the Molina art all the way through was beautiful. There's a couple of times from Colossus makes weird facial expressions and doesn't look like him but I think it's just trying to show kind of how some of the emotion is contorting him so I like the idea of it anyway the the story is very good Jason Aaron hits another one out of the park really digging his handling of this book and I like the way he's handling his characters um Colossus and Kitty Pride, two of my favorites, you know, growing up with the X-Men. And the way this relationship is told through the lens of AVX and Phoenix 5 is, is really good. I really like the way Aaron handles it. You know, Colossus obviously acting very different than the gentle Colossus we know, but that's showing what the Phoenix Force is doing to him, that it's really not him anymore. It'd be really interesting to see where all this ends up. I'm really... That, to me, more than anything else, is what I'm curious about. 
how AVX ends is how do these Phoenix Five characters carry on, assuming that most of them are probably going to realize they did the wrong thing. And I, I hope so, at least, at least on Colossus. Like you know, Cyclops, Neymar, Emma Frost—they're all kind of jerks anyway. So I mean, maybe they won't really have that much redemption or remorse. I'm sure they will. But Colossus, I mean, he's really... Between the Juggernaut thing and this thing, he's moved really far away from kind of the Colossus we know and love. And it's been really good story and really big character development. But you have to feel like at some point that it's going to click. And Colossus is going to kind of realize and feel really bad at kind of having lost his true self. I mean, it's already, you've already seen an Uncanny, um, a really good struggle, you know, like where he imprisons himself with the sister. This is before they get the Phoenix stuff. Because he feels like he's a monster now with the Juggernaut, and then he doesn't really, can't really trust himself. So you're already seeing, like, a lack of trust in yourself. And I'm just wondering when this is over, assuming, you know, he survives, which I hope he does. Just wonder how he will deal with how he feels about himself, and that can be some really, really good storytelling. And I hope that we get to see all that, and I'm sure we will. And I hope they just do a good job with it, like they can. So, anyway, excuse me. That uh, is Wolverine and the X Men number fourteen. And hey, <laughs> look, you know what? The last week of August, we get the next issue. And Wolverine's on the cover. So he better be in the book. <laughs> on this cover, we have Wolverine, Professor X, Rachel Gray, Iceman, Angel, and Beast. Interesting. I wonder if this is an homage to an old, old, old X-Men cover. I'm going to have to look online and see if it is. Or look through like an omnibus or something. Because you can theoretically uh, sub all this in for the original X-Men. You have Iceman on the ice slide, which almost all the old covers, he was on the ice slide. You have Angel flying behind him with his wings spread. Angel, I mean, it's a new Angel, but that's it's a typical Angel pose. You have Beast, even though he's blue and furry now, but still in the old school Beast jumping pose. You have Rachel Gray, who can easily substitute, you know, Jean Gray from the original X-Men. By the way, that's her mom. Um, you have Professor X running behind, which I think in all those old issues, he was still in the wheelchair. But he did have issues, though, where he was in, like with the team, kind of in the background, like he is in this one. And you have Wolverine charging, and I'm wondering, I'm just wondering if there's an old cover that has Cyclops in the foreground running and the rest of the team and Professor X behind him. If so, that would make me like this cover even more. And I already like it just looking at it. And I like it because it means Wolverine will be in the damn book. So, anyway, there you go. Uh, there weren't any letters pages in this one. You should kind of enjoy the letters pages in this book. But we didn't get any of this issue, so... All right, moving on.
Okay, so now we have Uncanny X-Force number 28. It's written by Rick Remender. Art by Julian Tortino Tedesco. Colors by Justin Ponsor. The cover is by Jerome Pena and Rochelle Rosenberg. And, alright, we'll hop right to it. The cover, I really like. Pena's cover is pretty sweet. Um, I kind of commented on it last time, so I won't say too much, but it's a really nice looking cover. Really good. So, where we left, where last we left, <laughs> excuse me, where last we left, our Uncanny X-Forcers, they were um, trapped by the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, or I don't know if that's exactly what they're calling themselves, but pretty much what they are. They've taken Kid Apocalypse, and they've got an ultimaton or ultimaton, whatever the sentinel creature is ready to destroy all the X-Men now that Gateway has brought, I'm sorry, all the X-Force, either not X-Men, shh, X-Men don't condone this behavior. X-Force is there with Gateway and ultimaton has killed Gateway and is getting, and getting ready to blow up the base. Actually, the last thing we saw, he did blow up the base. But we're going to start off 30 seconds ago, which I'm going to assume is 30 seconds before the mushroom cloud in the middle of the desert. And thus starts um, a little chapter in our journey that I feel like is a commercial. But I'll get into that in a minute. Um, basically, Psylocke panics, searches for a remnant of Gateway, finds it, and teleports the team away, not knowing the time or place. Emphasis on the time. And so we jump to 30 years later, and we meet another Deathlock. I, I gotta say, this is kind of Rick Remender's... I don't know, like, okay... The story is still pretty good. It's written well. The art's good, by the way. I do like the art. Um, the dialogue's pretty good. I just, I'm kind of getting a little bit burnt out on the whole Deathlock Terminator story. I just, I feel like since they first did that back in Wolverine series. It was a really good story, and even most of the follow-ups have been pretty good, but I feel like they've been really close together. And I know, I, I trust Reminder, because he's one of those guys that, that has whole arcs. And so I know he's building up to something, and I, I trust him in that. I just kind of feel like this story is like, okay, what happened to our real story? <laughs> We just had this really, like, exciting thing with this new, like, group of evil mutants, and it's a really good story. They have Kid Apocalypse, and oh, wait, we're not going to talk about any of that for the next two issues. It's okay. I don't mind it that much. I was just really looking forward to hearing that story, and I'm ready to kind of get through another alternate future Deathlock Terminator story so I can get back to the real deal. And I'm sure, like I said, I trust Remender. 
I'm sure there will be character development in these next two issues that is necessary for the end of the other story. And so in that respect, bring it on. I'm just, I don't know. I feel like this issue is an interruption of sorts. But it's a good interruption. You know, I don't know. It's like, like when your kid comes up and interrupts your dinner. You don't really care because you love your kid and he's cute. So it's all good. But it's still interrupting. <laughs> anyway. So, alright. X-Force meets the new Deathlock. They start figuring out they're not in the right place. Then we flip the page and I know, I know as a fact, I'm supposed to be really excited about this. I'm supposed to see Cable and Deadpool and Hope on little Tron hover bikes and I'm supposed to think that's really cool. And as an image, it is cool. I don't know. I'm not... Maybe I'm a little bit in the wrong audience for this particular story because I don't really care that much about alternative characters. I just... I've never really gotten really big into the interdimensional time bandit. Look at all the different ways we can make these characters exist. I, I like my characters. They're already cool. And they're fine. But I know a lot of people really like that. I know as a sci-fi fan, I'm supposed to like that. And so I just kind of take it as it comes. But it is a cool image. And they're cool looking bikes. Opania's design on those is is nice. And I like the little 80s colors. That's cool. I know it's kind of trendy right now. But I still like it. So anyway, alternate future Cable, Hope, and Deadpool are hunting for X-Force. They've somehow realized that they've come to this new timeline and feel like it's going to mess everything up. So then you have future Wolverine and future Punisher, meaning future boss, future big boss for you video game fans. Anyway, I do like, I like the Punisher looks old and I like his future chest plate skull thing. Like that use of the skull motif. It, if Hopania if designed that, then good for him. And that was Reminder or somebody else's idea, then good for them too. But whoever came up with that, two thumbs up. It looks cool. Makes Punisher look really hardcore, but believable. And in the future, at his even older age than he is now, which, I don't know, as Punisherman retconned, is he still a Vietnam vet? I don't know why, I used to, Punisher was the second comic book I ever got into, behind G.I. Joe. I used to love me the fool out of some Punisher and Punisher War Journal, especially the Jim Lee stuff in War Journal. Also my first expo real exposure to Jim Lee. Um... So I, even though I, I don't read the character that much anymore, there's still a special place in my heart for him. <laughs> that sounds really lame and stupid, but it's kind of true. I still kind of have a soft spot, if you will, for the Punisher, even though I don't really keep up with him that much. Kind of the, the gritty vigilante stories, I feel like, 
No, I did like Reminder's run when they started over the Punisher a few years back. Reminder had a really good run uh, back around Civil War time, right after Civil War. So I know Reminder knows how to write him, so there's a plus. Anyway, I just feel like the he runs out of stories and people try to just either tell the same story or just try to do something shocking. And I did that in air quotes. You can't see me. But I said shocking with my fingers going up and down. And I don't know. It just doesn't really shock me that much. And I don't really, I don't really get into the whole shock rock comic book. I know some people really like it and that's fine. But anyway, so then we pan around to the boss and its future alternate Psylocke. And it doesn't, it's hard to tell that it's her, but we know because in the next panel down is our Psylocke and they're drawn the same. So that's how you know that it's Psylocke in the future. So Deathlock offers them some of those worms from Star Trek that go in your ear or those earwigs, right? That's what those are called. The Rathacon and also made a little cameo in the in the last movie, which is really good. Hurry up with a new one already. Come on. So <laughs> X-Force is looking at him, trying to decide if they're going to do him or not. Psylocke is like, I don't need it. I got mental powers. My favorite part of that scene is Deadpool, the face he's making, where he pulls up his mask and stick one in his ear. And he looks like he just ate a bad piece of meat or something. And like, like, he's going to throw up in his mask when he puts it back on. Which, you know, in Deadpool, he might. So anyway, future, this future Deathlock is going to show X-Force around. And is trying to convince them to stay and help him. Wolverine's like, no, just get me out of here. And Deathlock is, well, fine. I'll send you home, but at least let me show you first so you can decide if you're going to help me or not. Which we all know, they're going to see something horrible and decide they're going to help them. That's just how the story is going to go. You heard it here. I don't know. I'm probably the sixth or seventh person to tell you that. I'm going to assume an assumption on my part. So you have humanoid Eva trying to comfort Psylocke. It doesn't really work that much. She does say something cool. We kind of have this emotionless Psylocke we're dealing with now. Because Eva says to... To succumb to sorrow now would undo his sacrifice, referring to Phantom X. He's trying to say that like, Phantom X knew what he was doing and made the sacrifice on purpose. So Psylocke needs to honor that by living in the good life, so to speak. Then Psylocke says, lucky for me, sorrow isn't an option. Then you got Deadpool and AOA Nightcrawler digging through rations. And then you get a couple of good Deadpool lines. Uh, Nightcrawler ask him, ask him about what is, how it is being an X-Force without a healing factor, which if you know from the Deadpool series, Wade has lost his healing factor. He thought he had finally found a way to get his death wish, but it turns out it just took away his powers. Which he thought, okay, well then I can use that and I can die because I won't heal. But then he decided he didn't want to die. It's actually a really good story um, if you like Deadpool stuff. Which I do about half the time. Um, 
Anyway, referring to his non-healing factor, he, he says about wounds, he says, Yeah, not so much fun. They sort of hurt and itch and burn and bleed and suck. <laughs> Which is probably what we would all say when we get wounded. So, I thought that was funny. Plus, I just... Remender writes Deadpool pretty well. It's not as, like, silly funny as some of what you get in his book, but it still is very dry. It's still very sarcastic. And it's still pretty, pretty, pretty funny. So then we got the other guys that are looking for X-Force, the future team. And... Who's this guy along here? Crap, I just read this. I already forget who this is that tries to throw people off the window here. Oh, okay, yeah. Alright, so we get this like minority report story. So this future that future Psylocke has set up is basically Minority Report. And um, basically she uses her psychic abilities to tell when people are going to do something wrong and sends her version of X-Force out to kill them. So basically she has eradicated crime. So cue Minority Report soundtrack here. And so basically this guy is throwing his son, I'm assuming, out the window because of something he hasn't done yet. And he says, X-Force just saved their lives. And they refer to this task as preventative termination. Because when he threw him out the window, little X-Force hover bikes caught him and took him away, basically, to kill him. So Wolverine's like, who's in charge of this? And Deathlock says, Magistrate Braddock. Psylocke is shocked. <laughs> we get another good Deadpool line. Uh, Deathlock tries to start tries to start to explain the situation. He talks about how we saved Evan. He turns into Apocalypse and tries to destroy the world. And <laughs> Deadpool says, "All right, hold on. I'm going to imagine a killer flashback sequence to accompany the backstory." Okay, go! And then you see Deathlock talking and behind him is drawn a little panel with X-Force and Avengers and everybody else fighting a new apocalypse. And, you know, it talks about, cool for us, talking about Wolverine, that Logan gathered this army to defeat Apocalypse and did it and then kind of set up this new world order. Then we get a little bit of a turn here. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about this. I don't necessarily like, oh, I don't believe it, like completely disagree, but it seems, I'm not going to say out of character, but I'm not going to say in character. But Wolverine basically says, talking to Deathlock, our Wolverine says, stopping killers before they kill? What's so bad? And then Deathlock slams into the wall and says, Murder! For any reason, it's still murder! <coughs> Sorry, my death yell hurt my throat there. 
And Wolverine says, sometimes murder is a necessary sacrifice. Which that makes sense coming from Wolverine. And that sounds like something he would say. I'm not sure if he would... I don't know. I'm not sure if I agree that Wolverine is okay with killing people before they do something. Because even in the AVX thing right now, talking about how if he has to kill Hope, he only was going to kill Hope if she couldn't control the Phoenix. So, I don't know. We have Deathlock start to shoot Night Wolverine with Nightcrawler gets him. So, X-Force is fighting the new Deathlock. I guess they agree with the New World Order. And they don't want to help him stop. So they just... The hover bikes come and finish the job. X-Force was kicking Death, Deathlock's booty. And X-Force comes and shoots him up. And he falls off a building and dies. They talk about it. And they realize they can't find Psylocke. And Psylocke has come. She is not agreeing with her teammates. So she comes and finds a statue. It looks like her future self. And she goes samurai and decides she's going to uh, take her own life with her sword to prevent herself from ever becoming this person she disagrees with in the future. And really good panels here. This whole last two pages, or last three pages, of Psylocke escaping from the, or running away from the team and finding this statue and then performing her uh, sacrificial suicide. All really, really good panels. And it's actually pretty moving and emotional when she kills herself here. I forget the name of that, the art of of cutting yourself with a sword. I should know that, and I know I just lost my nerd card. But um, anyway, that's really enough. So next issue, Kill the Future, which comes out later this month. So we uh, should get to that here in a little bit. Um, anyway, overall. Really good story. I was just hoping to get the other story. (laughs) But enough complaining about that. It was good. I enjoyed it actually more talking about it than I did reading it. So, yeah. Alright, cool. Up next, we have Astonishing X-Men 52. Which, it seems the way they're doing it, which I actually like, is used to be... Wolverine was on every team. And he's still kind of overexposed, but it seems at least in the X universe, like the way he makes his appearances on the different teams makes sense. I mean, you have Wolverine and the X-Men, which is him running the school, so it's not necessarily a team per se, a separate team, it's a separate group after the schism. But it's more about just whoever's at the school. Then you have Uncanny X-Force, which is Wolverine's uh, Black Ops mutant hit squad. And then I guess Astonishing X-Men is actually like the X-Men field team, as you were, that Wolverine is on. And right now, the only one that he's on. So that is good that he's only in one, like, team team like official we're the X-Men team so as far as that goes I'm 
glad that he's not also an uncanny and the adjectiveless X-Men. Well, I'd say I'm glad that he's not also on them. I would probably prefer that he be on one of them instead. Um, yeah, uh, right now, Astonishing X-Men for me is more like Ugh, Astonishing X-Men. Um, I haven't really enjoyed this book. It's been been about a year since I've just been like, yes, can't wait. It's okay right now. Oh, let's get to it. Um, it's written by Marjorie Liu, with art by Mike Perkins and Gabriel Hernandez Walta. And the cover is by Dustin Weaver. And I will say that when Dustin Weaver first started uh, putting covers on Astonishing X-Men, I was both excited and let down. <laughs> I was excited because I thought the first, especially the first couple of covers that he did for Astonishing were really, really good. I like his art style. I like the way he draws. I kind of wish he was drawing the interiors on the books. And I saw him, he did something recently, I can't remember off the top of my head now, where he did the interiors, and it was really good. Uh, something extra related. I know he did all that S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff and whatever. But Astonishing X-Men, uh, this cover, while good, is probably my least favorite cover of his that I've seen so far. Something about it looks weird to me. I like all the detail, like in the background. But I feel like it's better than the foreground. And part of it is maybe I just don't really care about karma that much. And maybe part of it's the Terminator leg. I'm not sure. But not my, not my, probably my least favorite Dustin Weaver cover to date. But it's still pretty good. And I still wish he was drawn the inside. I think part of my problem with this book, because... In general, I think I like Marjorie Liu. Uh, I remember liking... Because she did stuff on Doc and... Or at least Dark Wolverine and X-23, right? I mean, that's the same... That's who I'm thinking of that I've read her before. And I think I like her. So I don't know if... Maybe... She's better with a smaller cast of characters? Or if I just don't like this team... And I'm wondering if, if maybe it's just that I don't care that much about this team. And that's probably part of it. And, you know, honestly, like the last story with the Marauders. I used to like the Marauders. I liked the Marauders in theory. I didn't like them in that story. Of course, they didn't do a whole lot. But, I mean, you have Wolverine, obviously, which is why we're talking about this book. And you have North Star, which I like more now than I used to. Iceman, I really like in a Wolverine and the X-Men right now. Not as much in this book right now. Though I still like the character. Warbird, even though we got a good story for her from Wolverine and the X-Men, I don't really care that much about the character. Gambit, I like in theory, but I haven't really seen anybody do anything that good with them in a long time. 
Beast I like. Cecilia Reyes is meh. And Karma I don't really care for. And I know this is ex blasphemy, but I don't really like that many of the old New Mutants characters. I like Cannonball a lot. And there's probably a couple others. <laughs> but I can't think of any off the top of my head that I really like. I don't... I don't know. I They keep kind of retreading from time to time and popping up on different X-Men teams. And I'm just, just not a fan. And, you know, let me say, there's going to be times in this podcast when I talk about issues I don't really like. Or that don't... I don't like as much. And that's not to say that I think they suck. Or, and it's definitely not to say that I could do any better. Because I know I can't. I'm just a fan, but, you know, I guess I have the right to be armchair quarterback if I want. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I tried to draw some when I was in high school, and I did okay. Uh, I drew a couple of decent, really simple action poses, but I'm, I'm no artist, and I'm certainly no writer. So if I sound negative on some of these it's not that I don't think the talent on the book is any good maybe it's just not my preference or my particular taste and maybe people listening really really like this book and it's so awesome I'm I don't know it's just Mike Perkins and Gabriel Hernandez Volta both I think are good artists but nothing that really blows me away or makes me excited to see their name at this point in their careers. Doesn't mean it won't be that way someday. But anyway, enough of that. We start off with the wedding. Uh, the North Star and his boyfriend, Kyle, right? Yes, Kyle. And that part's cool. Um, we have Spider-Man swinging from the ceiling, dancing with somebody. Can't really tell who that is. And then you have... Um, Bobby, it looks like Aurora is either dancing or yawning. I'm not sure. Oomch, 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 oomch. Ah, OMG, this wedding is so boring. Ah. Oomch, 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 oomch. You have Kid Alpha, and then you got Jubilee dancing, it looks like. You can tell because she has vampire teeth. That's how you know it's her. Then you switch to, like, an hour ago with Karma. She's distressed, running around. Someone overtook her mind, so she overtook somebody else's mind. I, I don't really care about this. She's at the museum. She's talking to Kitty Pride about different stuff. About how her, we get some insight into her past. About stories that I read and didn't really care that much about back then and then my favorite part of the book actually is you have this hummingbird that lands on Wolverine's shoulder or no, I guess not a hummingbird it's a regular bird and you have Karma's little like pink mind control blocks the the Atari mind control thing she does and Wolverine talks to her and says hello daughter, darling I like your little spies and Carver says, I just like flying. Kind of like the perspective that that she can see through the bird, which is cool because that whole page, which is my favorite page in the book, 
It like starts off with a really high bird's eye view that narrows down to Wolverine leaning against his van. And then you have the Iceman, not the Iceman, the X-Men. I was looking at Iceman when I said that. Meeting Wolverine and they decide they're going to take a walk. And you know it's Iceman because he has a snowflake on his shirt, in case you weren't sure. And so Warbird makes a really bad joke, like from the ALF TV show about, Oh, I'm not from this planet. I want to eat your dogs and cats because they look like snacks. You know, whatever. Never heard of that before. And then basically, uh, Karma shows back up at the wedding, which is like, I don't want to be here. She sees the girl that took over her mind or infected her or whatever. I think it ends up with some kind of nanotechnology. And she gets mad, and basically, you realize that this chick somehow put. Some kind of explosive in Wolverine's stomach and she blows it up. And that's about it. I will say, I'm not really enjoying the story, but the cover for next issue, also by Dustin Weaver, looks like a really cool cover. It's like an x-ray of Wolverine with his bones and like this giant bomb in his stomach, which, from the interior art, the explosive in his stomach probably wasn't that big, but it's still a really cool visual. He's got like a, a pop art or whatever in front of a like an old cartoon bomb behind him. I don't know, it's a really cool cover. So I look forward to the cover of next issue. Um, I don't know about the story. I will buy it and read it and go over it. But that's about all I have to say about that. I'm I'm kinda hoping after AVX, they redo some things and swim down the X titles a little bit. I hope that either <laughs> this one goes away or maybe they they bring a, a, a fuller team to this book. Because even the people I like on this team don't really do that much. I, Iceman and Beast don't really do that much on this team right now so I'm kind of hoping that the team improves and the book improves with it uh, and we'll just see where it goes cool okay so um, I did want to make one quick amendment to what I said during Astonishing X-Men uh, go back and contradict one of my own points because I was thinking almost as soon as I push stop on that last little bit with the Star Trek X-Men. Um, I was talking about the roster and I stand by most of what I said but I did say something. I said that, that nobody had written Gambit very well in a long time and I, I disagree with that. I actually think that this writer, Marjorie, Marjorie Liu, sorry about that, wrote one of the best Gambit arcs in several years, uh, when she teamed him up with X-23, and he was kind of the big brother, whatever, chaperone that he was for X-23. Uh, that was actually some of the best Gambit in a long time. So, with that in mind, like, I know 
And Marjorie Liu has it in her to write really good X stories. I mean, she's done it before. All her her docking stuff and all her X-23 stuff was really good. So, my suspicion is that, and my hope, is that she'll kind of turn this book around back to where she wants it and find her stride. Um, I still just think overall it's a little bit pedestrian right now, but I, I think it has potential. So I didn't want to come off quite maybe as negative as I said before, because I really, I, I love comics, I love X-Men, I love Wolverine, and I, and I like this writer, and so I don't want it to sound like I'm, I'm bashing anything. So, anyway, that's that. Moving on. Thanks. So, last week, I was uh, on vacation in the beautiful state of California. Went to the San Diego area, went to some beaches, Oceanside, Laguna Beach, Huntington Beach, Kind of bummed I'm back in the uh, hot August Texas summer, but here I am. Anyway, the point of all that is not to brag about my awesome vacation, which was awesome. But um, but to say that when I go to the comic shop this week, I'll be picking up two weeks of issues. And I was looking at what I'm going to have waiting for me at the shop. And I noticed that Three of the titles we cover here as Wolverine-centric titles, or at least somewhat Wolverine-centric, will have a second issue that come to come out in August, just in the last two weeks. And I haven't looked ahead to the week after next to see if Wolverine and the X-Men will also have another issue in August, or that comes out after Labor Day. But the point of all this is, I think if I try to cover three more books in this episode, it's going to be like three hours long. And nobody wants that, including me. (laughs) I already feel like an hour and a half is really long in pushing it as it is. So, that said, what I'm going to do is go ahead and start wrapping this episode up with a couple of closing comments, and then um, we'll have like a bonus episode in August that I'll uh, put out I'll record it right before Labor Day, and then, you know, I'm going out of town again, but I should get it up early September, and then I'll still do the September episode sometime that month, too. So, oh, also one thing I was going to try to do that I didn't really, haven't really been able to do, I'm going to try to keep up with some of the other, like, Wolverine appearances around the Marvel Universe, um... I haven't lately really talked extensively about the Avengers vs. X-Men issues themselves. Mostly because since I started the podcast, Wolverine has been in them, but hasn't really been central to the story. And I feel like we get enough of what's going on with the story in, in the other Wolverine books. If over the next concluding issues, which I feel like is very likely, Wolverine moves back to the forefront, kind of like he was towards the start of it, then I will review those issues individually. But for now, just kind of keying in on the overall story arc as it involves Wolverine and his relationship to the X-Men and Cyclops and Captain America. 
in particular. Uh, there was also an issue of Hulk, or the, the Incredible Hulk, that he was in uh, a couple weeks ago. And that's also written by Jason Aaron, who is writing Wolverine and the X-Men. And you know, I gotta say, I really dug uh, the initial relaunch of the Incredible Hulk with uh, Jason Aaron and Mark Silvestri and then moving into uh, Lenio Francis Hugh. And I feel like this story that's going on now, the, the Stay Angry story arc that Wolverine guest appeared in the last issue of, looks interesting. Um, and I plan on catching up on that at some point. But I'm behind on it. I kind of had to lay off Incredible Hulk for the moment because um, well, I can't buy every book, unfortunately, as much as I would love to. Um, so if, I don't know, I probably won't go back to it. If I ever read it again, I'll just read it. Um, may wait for the trade of this arc to come out and pick that up because it does look interesting and I do like Jason Aaron a lot. And I'm interested in the whole like Bruce Banner Hulk split and then coming back together but Hulk trying to stay Hulk so the Bruce Banner can't do what he's trying to do. Like That all sounds really interesting and so I hope to read it at some point. Um, but I'm not currently so I can't really comment on Wolverine's appearance over there except for it looked pretty cool. Um, I think basically you were just fighting the Hulk or the Hulk picked a fight with him to stay PO'd so that he wouldn't turn into Banner. So, and of course, obviously Wolverine and Hulk have a long history being as his first appearance was an Incredible Hulk. So, anyway, that said, um, I'm aware of that appearance and I will try to cover some of his other appearances in other books. But didn't really get a chance to get to that one. So if you're looking forward to that, I apologize. Um, I'm sorry. Another thing I want to mention real fast that I was going to do. I was going to wait and save this for the next episode. But since I'm kind of wrapping up this one, I thought I'd do it real quick. Do a real quick summary of it. I'm going to start a rating system for the reviews I do on the issues and... The rating system is going to be based on three claws, with the three claws being the best and no claws being the worst. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope I don't have to explain any of the reasoning behind that. Just know that it's, you know, it's based on Wolverine's claws, so the best issues are like Wolverine all out, like slicing and dicing, and the other issues are Wolverine not being quite so bad. So, anyway, real quick over this episode, I gave Wolverine 311 three claws. I cannot say enough how much I'm loving this story arc uh, with the Sabretooth Reborn stuff. Just fantastic. Has my full attention. Has me thinking past the issue, like wondering what's going to happen next, rereading stuff. It's just, it's everything. This story arc is kind of symbolic of why I read comics in the first place. It's giving me everything I want. So I give that three claws. I also gave Wolverine and the X-Men number 14 three claws. Even though Wolverine wasn't in it, and that is kind of a bummer, I feel like it was just a really good story focusing 
um, kind of my X-Men from when I started reading with Colossus and Kenny Pride. It's Jason Aaron, who I love right now. Anyway, <laughs> who knows who I always will. But for right now, I'm really digging him. And I thought it was a really good story, even without Wolverine, so I gave it three claws also. Astonishing X-Men 52, I gave one claw. I don't think it sucks. I just don't really know where it's going yet. And it's just kind of forgettable, I guess is the best way I have to explain that issue. I'm hoping, I like I said, or tried to amend my opinion a little bit. I do have faith in Marjorie Liu that she has some good stories for this team. But I don't feel like we're really there yet. So I gave it one claw. Uncanny X-Force 28. I gave two claws. I think it's a good story. But not necessarily as good as X-Force has been. With Remender's stories. I feel like this one was a little bit of a drop off. But not much. So I gave it two claws. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, please... um. Email me at snitcast at yahoo.com. That's S-N-I-K-T-C-A-S-T at yahoo.com. If uh, you have any comments, if you enjoy this, if you hate it, um, if you want me to read your email, if you have something interesting to say, I will definitely do that. Um, I would love for there to be some kind of dialogue even on here. Even if it's just me reading emails and talking to you like you're here when you're not. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I will still kind of keep my viewers out. If I can find anybody around me that wants to do this with me. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. But um, like I said, I'll get another episode out either at the end of this month or very, very beginning of September. So until then, I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Oomch, 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 oomch. Ah, OMG, this wedding is so boring. Ah. Oomch, 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 oomch.